0: Chapter 12 of the story of eclipses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The story of eclipses by George Chambers. Chapter 12 Eclipses of the Sun Mentioned in History Medieval and Modern. One of the most celebrated eclipses of medieval times was that of August the second, eleven thirty three, visible as a total eclipse in Scotland it was considered a presage of misfortune to henry the and was thus referred to by william of malmesbury the elements manifested in their sorrow at this great man's last departure from england for the sun on that day at the sixth hour shrouded his glorious face as the poets say in hideous darkness agitating the hearts of men by an eclipse and on the sixth day of the week early in the morning there was so great an earthquake that the ground appeared absolutely to sink down and horrid noise being at first heard beneath the surface. The eclipse is also alluded to in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, though the year is wrongly given as 1135 instead of 1133, as it certainly was. The Chronicle says, In this year King Henry went over sea at Lamas, and the second day as he lay and slept on the ship the day darkened over all lands, and the sun became, as it were, a three-night-old moon, and the stars about it at midday. Men were greatly wonder-stricken and affrighted, and said that a great thing should come hereafter. So it did, for the same year the king died on the following day after St. Andrew's Mass Day, December 2nd, in Normandy. The king did die in 1135, but there was no eclipse of the August new moon, and without doubt the writer has muddled up the year of the eclipse and of the king's departure from England, to which he never returned, and the year of his death. Calvisius states that this eclipse was observed in Flanders, and that the stars appeared. Respecting the above-mentioned discrepancy, Mrs. Todd aptly remarks, So Henry must have died in 1133, which he did not, or else there must have been an eclipse in 1135, which there was not. But this is not the only labyrinth into which chronology and old eclipses, imagination, and computation lead the unwary searcher. Professor Freeman's explanation fairly clears up the difficulty the fact that he never came back to england together with the circumstances of his voyage seems to have made a deep impression on men's minds in popular belief the signs and wonders which marked his last voyage were transferred to the tide before his death two years later the central line of this eclipse traversed scotland from ross to Forfar, and the eclipse was of course large in every part of the country the totality lasted four minutes and twenty seconds in forfarshire Hind has furnished some further information respecting this eclipse. It appears that during the existence of the kingdom of Jerusalem created by the Crusaders, an eclipse occurred which would appear to have been total at Jerusalem or in its immediate neighborhood. No date is given, and a date can only be guessed, and Hind guessed that the eclipse of 1133 was the one referred to. He found that after leaving Scotland and crossing Europe, the central line of the 1133 eclipse entered Palestine near Jaffa, and passed over Jerusalem, where the sun was hidden for four and a quarter minutes at about three hours p m from Nablus on the north to Ascalon on the south, the country was in darkness for nearly the same period of time. The alternative eclipses to this one would be those of September the fourth eleven eighty seven magnitude at Jerusalem nine-tenths of the sun's diameter, or june twenty third eleven ninety one magnitude at the same place about seven-tenths but these do not seem to harmonize so well with the accounts handed down to us as does the eclipse of eleven thirty three in eleven forty on march twentieth there happened to be a total eclipse of the sun visible in england which is thus referred to by william of malmesbury during this year in lent on the thirteenth of the calends of april at the ninth hour of the fourth day of the week there was an eclipse throughout england as i have heard With us, indeed, and with all our neighbors, the obscuration of the sun also was so remarkable that persons sitting at table, as it then happened almost everywhere, for it was lent, at first feared that chaos was come again. Afterwards, learning the cause, they went out and beheld the stars around the sun. It was thought and said by many, not untruly, that the king, Stephen, would not continue a year in the government. The same eclipse is also thus mentioned in the Anglo-Saxon chronicle afterwards in lent the sun and the day darkened about the noontide of the day when men were eating and they lighted candles to eat by and that was the thirteenth of the calends of april march twentieth men were greatly wonder-stricken the greatest obscuration at london took place at two hours thirty-six minutes p m but it is not quite clear whether the line of totality did actually pass over london it was long supposed that this eclipse was total at london an idea which seems to have arisen from hayley having told the royal society anon the total eclipse of may third seventeen fifteen that he could not find that any total eclipse had been visible at london since march twentieth eleven forty in consequence of this statement of hayley's Hind carefully investigated the circumstances of this eclipse and found that it had not been total at london the central line entered our island at Aberystwyth and passing near shrewsbury stafford derby Nottingham and Lincoln reached the German Ocean ten miles south of Saltfleet. The southern limit of the zone of totality passed through the South Midland counties, and the nearest point of approach to London was a point on the borders of Northamptonshire and Bedfordshire. For a position on the central line near Stafford, Hind found that the totality began at two hours thirty six minutes p.m. local mean time, the duration being three minutes twenty six seconds and the sun's altitude being more than thirty degrees the stars seen were probably the planets mercury and venus then within a degree of each other and ten degrees west of the sun and perhaps the stars forming the well-known square of pegasus mars and saturn were also at the time within a degree of each other but very near the western horizon it is therefore necessary to look further back than eleven forty to find a total solar eclipse visible in london A solar eclipse seems to have been alluded to by certain historians as having happened in A.D. 1153. We have the obscure statement that something singular happened to the sun the day after the conversion of St. Paul. A somewhat large eclipse having been visible at Augsburg in Germany on January 26th, this may have been the something referred to. It would seem that about eleven-twelfths of the sun's diameter was covered. On May 14, A.D. 1230, there happened a great eclipse of the sun thus described by Roger of Wendover. On the 14th of May, which was the Tuesday in Rogation week, an unusual eclipse of the sun took place very early in the morning, immediately after sunrise, and it became so dark that the labourers who had commenced their morning's work were obliged to leave it, and returned again to their beds to sleep but in about an hour's time to the astonishment of many the sun regained its usual brightness this eclipse as regards its total phase is said by johnson to have begun in the horizon a little to the north of london in the early morning on june the third a d twelve thirty nine and october the sixth twelve forty one there occurred total eclipses of the sun which have been very carefully discussed by professor saloria of milan with the view of using them in investigations into the moon's mean motion The second of these eclipses is mentioned by Tycho Brahe. He states that a few stars appeared about noonday and the sun was hidden from sight in a clear sky. The eclipse was total in eastern Europe. Dr Lingard, the well-known Roman Catholic historian, speaking of the battle of cressy which was fought on August twenty sixth, thirteen forty six, says, Never perhaps were preparations for battle made under circumstances so truly awful. On that very day the sun suffered a partial eclipse. Birds in clouds, precursors of a storm, flew screaming over the two armies, and the rain fell in torrents, accompanied with incessant thunder and lightning. About five in the afternoon the weather cleared up, the sun in full splendor darted his rays in the eyes of the enemy, and the Genoese, setting up their shouts, discharged their quarrels. This was not an eclipse, for none was due to take place, and the phenomenon could only have been meteorological. Dense clouds or something of that sort in the sky on june sixteenth fourteen o six there was a large eclipse of the sun nine-tenths of its diameter being covered at london but on the continent it seems to have been total it is stated that the darkness was such that people could hardly recognize one another one of the most celebrated eclipses during the middle ages was undoubtedly that of june seventeenth fourteen thirty three this was long remembered in scotland as the black hour and its circumstances were fully investigated some years ago by hind it was a remarkable eclipse in that the moon was within thirteen degrees of perigee and the sun only two degrees from apogee the central line traversed scotland in a south-easterly direction from ross to Forfar, passing near inverness and dundee McLaren, who lived in the early part of the last century mentions that in his time a manuscript account of this eclipse was preserved in the library of the university of edinburgh wherein the darkness is said to have come on at about three p m and to have been very profound. The duration of the totality at Inverness was 4 minutes 32 seconds, at Edinburgh 3 minutes 41 seconds. The central line passed from Britain to the north of Frankfurt on the main, through Bavaria, to the Dardanelles, to the south of Aleppo, and thence nearly parallel to the river Euphrates, to the northeast border of Arabia. In Turkey, according to Calvisius, near evening the light of the sun was so overpowered that darkness covered the land in fifteen forty four on january twenty fourth there occurred an eclipse of the sun which was nearly but not quite total the chief interest arises from the fact that it was one of the first observed by professed astronomers gemma frisius saw it at louvain kepler says that the day became dark like the twilight of evening and that the birds which from the break of day had been singing became mute The middle of the eclipse was at about 9 a.m. In 1560 an eclipse of the sun took place which was total in Spain and Portugal. Calvius, who observed it at Coimbra, says that the sun remained obscured for no little time. There was darkness greater than that of night. No one could see where he trod, and the stars shone very brightly in the sky. The birds, moreover, wonderful to say, fell down to the ground in fright at such startling darkness. Kepler is responsible for the statement that Tycho Brahe did not believe this, and wrote to Calvius to that effect forty years afterwards. In 1567 there was an annular eclipse visible at Rome on April 9th. Calvius says that the whole sun was not eclipsed, but that there was left a bright circle all around. This in set terms is a description of an annular eclipse, but Johnson, who calculated that at Rome the greatest obscuration took place at twenty minutes past noon points out that the augmentation of the moon's semi-diameter would almost have produced totality tycho tells us that he saw this eclipse on the shores of the baltic when a young man about twenty years of age the total eclipse of february twenty fifth fifteen ninety eight long left a special mark on the memories of the people of scotland the day was spoken of as black saturday MacLaren states there is a tradition that some persons in the north lost their way in the time of this eclipse and perished in the snow a statement which Hines discredits the central line passed from near stranraer over dalkeith and therefore edinburgh was within the zone of totality totality came on at edinburgh at ten hours fifteen minutes and lasted one minute thirty seconds from the rapid motion of the moon in declination the course of the central line was a quickly ascending one in latitude on the earth's surface the totality passing off within the arctic circle kepler in his account of the new star in the constellation ophiuchus refers to the total eclipse of the sun of october twelfth sixteen o five as having been observed at naples and that the red flames were visible as a rim of red light round the sun's disc at least this seems to be the construction which may fairly be put upon the latin of the original description the partial eclipse of the sun of may thirtieth sixteen twelve is recorded to have been seen through a tube no doubt this is an allusion to the newly invented instrument which we now call the telescope seemingly this is the first eclipse of the sun so observed but it is on record that an eclipse of the moon had been previously observed through a telescope this was the lunar eclipse of july sixth sixteen ten though the observer's name has not been handed down to us the eclipse of April 8, 1652, is another of those Scotch eclipses, as we may call them, which left their mark on the people of that country. MacLaren speaks of it in his time; he died in 1746. As one of the two central eclipses which are still famous among the populace in this country, Scotland, and known amongst them by the appellation of Mirk Monday, the central line passed over the southeast of Ireland near Wexford and Wicklow and reaching Scotland near Boroughhead in Wigtonshire, and passing not far from Edinburgh, Montrose, and Aberdeen, quitted Scotland at Peterhead. Greenock and Elgin were near the northern limit of the zone of totality, and the Cheviots and Berwick upon the southern limit. The eclipse was observed at Carrick Fergus by doctor Wybird. Hind found that its duration there was but forty four seconds. This short duration, he suggested, may partly explain the curious remark of Dr. Wybird, that when the sun was reduced to a very slender crescent of light, the moon all at once threw herself within the margin of the solar disk with such agility that she seemed to revolve like an upper millstone, affording a pleasant spectacle of rotatory motion. Wybird's further description clearly applies to the corona. A Scotch account says that the country people tilling loosed their ploughs the birds dropped to the ground. The eclipse of November 4, 1668, visible as a partial one in England, was of no particular interest in itself, but deserves notice as having been observed by Flamsteed, who gives a few diagrams of his observations at Derby. He states that the eclipse came on much earlier than had been predicted. It was well known at this time that the tables of the sun and moon then in use were very defective, and it was a recognition of this fact which eventually led to the foundation of the greenwich observatory in sixteen seventy five on september twenty-third sixteen ninety nine an eclipse of the sun occurred which was total to the north of caithness for the very brief space of ten to fifteen seconds at edinburgh about eleven-twelfths of the sun's diameter was obscured in the appendix to peppy's diary there is a letter from dr wallace mentioning that his daughter's attention was called to it by noticing the light of the sun looked somewhat dim at about nine a m while she was writing a letter she knowing nothing of the eclipse an eclipse of the sun occurred on may twelfth seventeen o six which was visible as a partial eclipse in england and was total on the continent especially in switzerland a certain captain stanyan who made observations at Bern, writes thus to flamsteed that the sun was totally darkened there for four and a half minutes of time that a fixed star and a planet appeared very bright and that his getting out of his eclipse was preceded by a blood-red streak of light from its left limb which continued not longer than six or seven seconds of time then part of the sun's disk appeared all of a sudden as bright as venus was ever seen in the night nay brighter and in that very instant gave a light and shadow to things as strong as the moon uses to do on this communication flamsteed remarks The captain is the first man I ever heard of that took notice of a red streak preceding the immersion of the sun's body from a total eclipse, and I take notice of it to you, the Royal Society, because it infers that the moon has an atmosphere, and its short continuance, if only six or seven seconds time, tells us that its height was not more than five or six hundredths part of her diameter. On the whole, perhaps, the most celebrated eclipse of the sun ever recorded in England was that of May 3rd, 1715 the line of totality passed right across england from cornwall to norfolk and the phenomenon was carefully observed and described by the most experienced astronomer of the time dr edmund hayley the line of totality passed over london amongst other places and as the maximum phase took place soon after nine a m on a fine spring morning the inhabitants of the metropolis saw a sight which their successors will not see again till many generations have come and gone Haley has left behind him an exceedingly interesting account of this event, some allusions to which have already been made. He seems to have seen what we call the corona, described by him, however, as a luminous ring of a pale whiteness, or rather pearl color, a little tinged with the colours of the iris, and concentric with the moon. He speaks also of a dusky but strong red light which seemed to color the dark edge of the moon just before the sun emerged from totality. Jupiter, Mercury, Venus, and the stars Capella and Aldebaran were seen in London, whilst north of London, more directly under the central line, as many as twenty stars were seen. The inhabitants of England who lived in the reign of George I were singularly fortunate in their chances of seeing total eclipses of the sun, for only nine years after the one just described, namely on May twenty-second, 1724, another total eclipse occurred. The central line crossed some of the southern countries, and the phenomenon was well seen and reported on by Dr. Stookley, who stationed himself on Harrodon Hill near Salisbury. The doctor says of the darkness that he seemed to feel it, as it were, drop upon us, like a great, dark mantle, and that during the totality the spectacle presented to his view was beyond all that he had ever seen or could picture to his imagination, the most solemn he could with difficulty discern the faces of his companions which had a ghastly startling appearance. When the totality was ending there appeared a small lucid spot, and from it ran a rim of faint brightness. In about three and a half minutes from this appearance the hill-tops changed from black to blue, the horizon gave out the grey streaks previous to morning dawn, and the birds sprang joyously into the air. This eclipse seems to have had royal observers. It was watched at Kensington, apparently by the king or some of the royal family of England, and at Trianon, Paris, by the king of France, under the competent guidance of Miraldi, Cassini, and de It was the last which was visible as a total one in any part of England. On May 2, 1733, there was an eclipse of the sun, which was total in Sweden and partial in England. In Sweden, the total obscuration lasted more than three minutes. Jupiter, the stars in Ursa Major, Capella, and several other stars were visible to the naked eye, as also was a luminous ring round the sun. Three or four spots of reddish colour were also perceived near the limb of the moon, but not in immediate contact with it. These so-called red spots were doubtless the red flames of the present century, and the luminous ring, the corona. On March first, seventeen 1737, a good annular eclipse was observed at Edinburgh by MacLaren. In his account, he says, a little before the annulus was complete a remarkable point or speck of pale light appeared near the middle of the part of the moon's circumference that was not yet come upon the disk of the sun. During the appearance of the annulus the direct light of the sun was still very considerable, but the places that were shaded from his light appeared gloomy. There was a dusk in the atmosphere especially toward the north and east. In those chambers which had not their lights westwards the obscurity was considerable. Venus appeared plainly and continued visible long after the annulus was dissolved, and I am told that other stars were seen by some. Lord Abadar mentions a narrow streak of dusky red light on the dark edge of the moon immediately before the ring was completed and after it was dissolved. No doubt this is a record of the red flames. In 1748 Scotland was again favoured with a central eclipse, but it was only annular. The Earl of Morton and James Short, the optician who observed the phenomenon at Aberdour Castle, ten miles northwest of Edinburgh, just outside the line of annularity, saw a brown-coloured light stretching along the circumference of the moon from each of the cusps. A star, probably the planet Venus, was seen to the east of the sun. The annular eclipse of April the 1, 1st, 1764, visible as such in North Kent, was the subject of the following quaint letter by the Rev. Dr. Stukeley to the printer of Whitehall Evening Post. In regard to the approaching solar eclipse of Sunday, April the 1st, I think it advisable to remark that, it happening in the time of divine service, it is desired you would insert this caution in your public paper. The eclipse begins soon after nine, the middle a little before eleven, the end a little after twelve. There will be no total darkness in the very middle observable in this metropolis but as people's curiosities will not be over with the middle of the eclipse if the church service be ordered to begin a little before twelve it will properly be morning prayer and a uniformity preserved in our duty to the supreme being the author of these amazing celestial movements yours rector of st george q s The year 1766 furnishes the somewhat rare case of a total eclipse of the sun observed on board ship on the high seas. The observers were officers of the French man-of-war, the Comte d'Artois. Though the total obscuration lasted only fifty-three seconds, there was seen a luminous ring about the moon which had four remarkable expansions, situated at a distance of ninety degrees from each other. These expansions are doubtless those rays which we now speak of as streamers from the corona curiously enough the next important total eclipse deserving of notice was also observed at sea this was the eclipse of june twenty fourth seventeen seventy eight the observer was the spanish admiral don antonio ulloa who was passing from the azores to cape st vincent the total obscuration lasted four minutes the luminous ring presented a very beautiful appearance out of it there issued forth rays of light which reached to the distance of a diameter of the moon Before it became very conspicuous, stars of the first and second magnitudes were distinctly visible, but when it attained its greatest brilliancy, only stars of the first magnitude could be perceived. The darkness was such that persons who were asleep and happened to wake thought that they had slept the whole evening, and only waked when the night was pretty far advanced. The fowls, birds, and other animals on board took their usual position for sleeping, as if it had been night. On September fifth seventeen ninety three there happened an eclipse which, annular to the north of Scotland, was seen and observed in England by Sir W. Herschel as a partial eclipse. He made some important observations on the moon on this occasion, measuring the height of several of the lunar mountains. Considerations respecting the shape of one of the moon's horns led him to form an opinion adverse to the idea that there the moon had an atmosphere. End of chapter twelve. Recording by Philip Gould.